Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Scott, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I am delighted to be able to open up God's Word with you and for you this morning. And I want to welcome you, whether you are in person or you're online. And for those of you who are online, you may not realize this, but I'm actually online watching right now, too. Uh, We, as a pastoral team, we went over to Louisville, Kentucky this past week and enjoyed a great time together at the Harbor Network's Annual Leaders Summit. Enjoyed some great fellowship and teaching, connecting with pastors uh, around the country, and God is indeed moving through the Harbor Network. There's been more churches planted um, than ever before, and we're super excited about that. But uh, while we were there, we had some pretty close contact with someone who came down with COVID, and just out of an abundance of caution, we thought it would be best for us to hold back on Sunday morning, and we are super bummed not to be with you, but at the same time, super grateful for all those who have stepped into the gap. So Joel, thank you so much for leading the worship this morning. Uh, All of our staff team, thank you for stepping in, Uh, and even our elders shepherding the flock that's among you. Super grateful for all of that. And alongside of that, thank you for you being here as well, just being flexible with us and all this craziness of COVID and what it entails. Uh, Lord willing, we will be back with you uh, next Sunday. And I'm just super delighted, by the way, uh, about the sunset service that's coming up next Sunday night. Um, I want to follow up on the, the announcement real quick and just encourage you to, to not only come out, but also to bring a friend. Uh, if you've come to these sunset services before, you know what a great chance they are to be able to fellowship together and sing together and hear great teaching together. But primarily have been oriented towards believers, towards the church. But this upcoming Sunday, we really want to have an accent towards welcoming those who are not a part of our church and even maybe don't know Jesus Christ. And so if there's a particular person that you've been praying for uh, that doesn't know Jesus, a friend or a neighbor or a co-worker, uh, invite them to come. There's those invitation cards in your seats that you can grab. There's a big stack of them out on the Connect desk that you can grab as well. Uh, and we just want to, we're excited. We're excited about what God has in store as we'll be enjoying great food and singing and a gospel call through teaching. And then we get to see the Lord's work in individuals' lives as they follow Jesus in baptism. And so you don't want to miss it. And uh, hopefully we'll have a great turnout for next Sunday. All right. Well, now let's go ahead and jump into God's word. Uh, And if you are a guest, this is a great time to be here. We've been making our way through the book of Romans, a series that we've entitled From Rags to Righteous. And really these last couple of months for the first three chapters, we've been focusing a lot on the rags. Uh, The Apostle Paul, he has been addressing the most important question that really every human seeks to answer, uh, whether they say it outwardly or inwardly within their soul. And the basic question is this, how can I be right with God? But the Apostle Paul says over and over again through these first three chapters that there is no person, there is no group of people, there is no religion that you can follow to make you good enough, to make you smart enough, to make you moral enough to stand before a holy, righteous God. All of us are filthy rags and all, even our good deeds are like filthy rags before a holy, righteous God. And as we saw last week, Pastor Paul um, walked us through the first part of chapter three, where the apostle Paul closes his argument by saying this, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. No one does good. Not even one. And if you want to defend yourself before a holy, righteous God, the apostle Paul warns where he says, every mouth will be stopped for by works of the law. No human being 
will be justified in his sight. Paul is a messenger and he has delivered some really, really bad news. It reminds me of a conversation that I had with one of my heroes, uh, my uncle Brennan. He was a sort of adopted grandpa for me growing up and he served in World War II and he fought for several years in Europe and he experienced day after day the war, this evil and all that it entailed, the sleepless nights, the sometimes going to bed without food, the gunfire all around and even seeing some of his friends die at the hands of the evil Axis powers. It was awful, as you can imagine, constantly hearing and seeing the bad news all around him. No one was immune to these consequences. It was awful. But my Uncle Brennan, thus far in the war, he had been preserved until one night when all the, all the bad news that he had seen and heard all around him he experienced for himself when he was shot in his hand and his shoulder and he was left to die in a ditch in the dark. He was terrified that he might bleed out, but unable to move because the gunfire just continued all around him. And he says, Scott, I have, I prayed so hard like I never have before. I, I prayed that this awful pain and this evil that's in and all around me would stop. But I was beginning to lose hope. That's where you might find yourself this morning. You're, you're coming in this morning and just finding yourself helpless and having no hope. Hope, finding yourself falling short, trying to prove your existence, trying to demonstrate through your performance that you really matter, that you're worthy for God to accept you. But you know that it's never enough. You're constantly hearing that bad news and you find yourself falling short and maybe in the dark. In fact, that's where the Apostle Paul sort of expects us to be. And we read this letter to the Roman church. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. We're going to see this today, that there is good news. And I want, I want to encourage you too. my Uncle Brennan's story didn't end poorly either. He didn't die. In fact, his buddy came with good news and he said, hey, I am here to rescue you. And not too much later, on May 8th, 1945, known as Victory in Europe Day, the good news really came when it was announced that the evil army of Nazi Germany had been defeated. This news just began to spill over across the world and celebrations erupted around the world as tens of thousands of people filled the streets of New York and London and Paris and cities all around the world. They were so filled with joy and gratitude as the bad news of evil was triumphed and swallowed up by the good news of rescue and deliverance. Folks, this is what we get to experience today. We've spent just week after week talking about this awful evil in and all around us. And now, now we get to hear the good news that there is a way to be delivered. There is a way to be rescued and restored and to have a right relationship with God. So in honor of God's word, Let's stand together and read this good news from God through the Apostle Paul to us, found in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. Listen to God's word to you and to me. But now, I love that. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, we come to you this morning longing for the good news to, to sink deeply into our souls. Maybe for some of us, this is the first time we've ever truly heard this good news that there is a way to be right with God. Oh God, would, would today be the day of salvation? For others of us who have heard this good news, sometimes we can just kind of, eh, just, it stops becoming good news for us. And so I pray even this morning that, that your, your very word would, would just permeate our soul, that we would understand the depth of your love, the depth of your grace, the, the work of Jesus for his people. God, we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You guys can take your seats. And as you do, today's sermon is entitled, the good news of Jesus. And as you can imagine, there's a ton that we could cover in this short paragraph. Many people even call this like one of the best, one of the biggest and best paragraphs in all the Bible. Um, in fact, I encourage you to follow Pastor Paul this week um, in the devotions. He's going to be making his way through this passage sort of in a deeper way than we have time this morning. And, but like the newspaper that everybody got on VE Day, on the Victory in Europe Day, we're kind of going to look at this passage in the same sort of way. So you can imagine these three major headlines that relate to this good news that Jesus has come for us. So headline number one is this, Jesus is our redemption. And there's a tagline here, you are free. Headline number two, Jesus is our propitiation. You are forgiven. And headline number three, Jesus is our justification. You are righteous. All right, so the first headline is this, Jesus is our redemption, you are free. And you can imagine sort of the, the newspaper reporter taking us to the slave market. That's the first setting that, that we want to go to. And this word redemption is a word that was very familiar to the Romans. In fact, millions of people were owned by another. And they could only be set free from their slavery by paying a price or a ransom. They had to be redeemed. But you can imagine, because the price was so high, slaves were in bondage for many years, and they succumbed to all sorts of cruelty. I mean, I think Russell Crowe, right, in Gladiator. Just no way out. No one cared. No one was concerned for their well-being. And somehow, the only way that they could get out of this mess was to pay a ransom. Nobody else is going to pay it for them. And so they had to earn enough to finally pay for it on their own. But as you can imagine, very few could ever get out of slavery. Well, the Apostle Paul says in the same way, every person apart from Christ is enslaved. We're under the dominion of darkness that leads to death. We're completely cut off from life and joy and peace. We are, as we're under a curse. We're under the rule and the reign of sin. And as Paul says in verse 23, this impact has, it's on all of us. It says there's no distinction for 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. By the way, that, that word sin, it means to miss the mark. And when it says that we fall short of the glory of God, now we're not quite sure exactly what it means. It could be in a number of different things, actually. Uh, one is it could mean that we don't worship God or give him the glory that he's due. Could also mean that because we're made in the image of God, when we don't imitate him through our character and our deeds, we don't reflect his glory. We fall short of his glory in that way. Or it also can mean that we don't have access to God's glory, that we can't have a relationship with him because our sin has kept us from God. However you interpret it, the result is the same. Apart from Christ, we are under a curse. We have no access to God's glory. We are enslaved and remain in that place under the punishment and the power and the presence of sin. And by the way, that word sin and fall short, it's in the past tense, but it has continuing action, meaning that we keep on sinning. We, we keep on falling short. We are enslaved and we can't get out. This is us. This is what we're born into. We are under the prince of the power of the air, under darkness and oppression. We can't pay our own way out. But as we know, there is good news there's someone who steps in on our behalf, Jesus. He is our redeemer. He pays the price of redemption. He pays our ransom. But as we know, it's not the ransom of money. It is far more precious than that. It's with the price of his own blood. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 says this, You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus paid the price, the price with his own life to take away our punishment. Now, what did Christ exactly redeem us from? Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And then a little bit later in chapter 4 of Galatians, Paul, Paul continues his thought by saying, in the same way, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So I want you to understand what this means to be redeemed from a curse. When Jesus died, he, he delivered you from the punishment, the power, and one day even the presence of sin. Through Jesus' death, all those who are in Christ are set free. A lot of times we focus particularly on the punishment for sin. And that is so huge that Jesus gave his life for us. He took the punishment that we so rightfully deserve. But I want you to hear this. He delivered us from a dominion of darkness into a dominion that is full of light and life and love. We have a new master whose yoke is easy and his burden is light. We have new hopes and new dreams and a new perspective and a new home awaiting us. My friends, our Redeemer has set us free from not just the punishment of sin. He didn't just take that upon himself, but the power of sin as well. We are no longer under the dominion and the curse of sin. We are now under the power of King Jesus. 
So I want to ask you a question. Christian, do you walk in this freedom? Or have you gone back to a yoke of slavery? In chapter 5 of Galatians, the Paul, Paul kind of continues his thought by saying, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So don't go back to the yoke of slavery. In that case, he was saying, don't go back to your performance to try to earn God's favor. Christ has paid it for you. But it also could mean that we go back to our enslavement to sin. Those patterns of Sin that just so easily overtook us before we were a believer, and then we go back to it. Jesus said, I'm your redeemer. I've set you free. You don't have to go back. You're no longer under that dominion of Satan, sin, and death. You're now brought into the kingdom of my beloved son, as the Father would say. So I want to encourage you, walk in this Freedom. I was thinking about a brother of mine who uh, dealt with a particular enslaving sin. And he just felt like he could never get out of it. And he said, yeah, I know Jesus died for my sin, but I just keep on struggling with this. And then this passage in Galatians really just opened up his eyes. And he said, Scott, I realized really for the first time that I don't have to say yes to sin. I can say no to it. Obviously, I'm not saying that that we're going to be perfect. God is one day even though going to remove the presence of sin, but we're not there yet. But the point of it is that we don't have to live enslaved to sin. Christ says, I'm your redeemer. I've set you free. And not only that, but I'm with you. I'm for you. I've sent my very spirit into your heart to, to remind you, to give you power, resurrection power to overcome those sins that so easily enslave Jesus says, I have set you free. This is the good news. I think back to um, the Emancipation Proclamation. I don't, uh, um, you know, back in the mid-1800s and how there were many slaves that were set free by that declaration, by that good news, and yet they didn't know how to live as free men. Obviously, there's a whole lot of reasons for that, but, but one of the primary reasons was this, that they had been enslaved for so long that they didn't realize they could be free. My friends, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, you are set free. So don't go back to a yoke of slavery anymore. All right, that's headline number one. Jesus is our redeemer and we are free. Now on headline number two. Jesus is one who not only paid the price and suffered the penalty for us, but he also appeased God's wrath for us. That brings us to headline number two. Jesus is our propitiation. It's a big word. And the tagline here is you are forgiven. The word propitiation kind of takes us to a new setting. It's the setting of the temple. And you may have in your Bible another word for propitiation there in, in verse 25. It could maybe also be translated sacrifice of atonement. Or sometimes it can even be, that Greek word can even be translated expiation. Three big words, but they all have to do with this idea of a sacrifice. And in the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint, this word in the Greek New Testament here was the word in the Old Testament for mercy seat. It's the place where God was said to dwell between these two archangels on the Ark of the Covenant. 
And it was the place where God's presence came down. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, that the law and the prophets bear witness to, as we see here in this passage, on the Day of Atonement, there was this special day where only the priest, this one day a year, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, to the very presence where where God's presence dwelt above the Ark of the Covenant. And the priest, on behalf of the people, would make a special sacrifice for the sins of the people. He would sprinkle the blood of the animal on that mercy seat. It was a sacrifice to atone for the people's sins so that they could have a relationship with their God. And on this day of atonement, there were actually two animals there. One animal, the goat, was killed and the blood was sprinkled on the altar. But the second animal was sent into the desert, into the wilderness, never to be seen from again. And this was a sign for God's people that the blood removed their sins from God's presence. That's what we call expiation. It means to clear away the record, to make it as if it never existed, to remove our sins, to forgive. God, in essence, says, I will remember your sins no more. As we know, this pattern in the Old Testament points to the new. And this word propitiation that's found here goes beyond simply removing sin. It also conveys the idea of appeasing God's wrath. As we heard from Pastor Paul a few weeks ago, God's wrath, by the way, it's not like ours. It's not capricious. It's, it's very measured. It's deliberate. It's completely just. It's holy. It's pure. God is right to be angry against all sin and rebellion against him. And so when it says that Jesus is our propitiation, It means that he stands in the gap on that cross and he becomes the wrath bearer. So when we talk about redemption and how Jesus died for our sin, that is true, but there's so much more than that. Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God against our sin. As we see here in this passage as well, it's not just the sin of those in the New Testament But it's the sin of those in the Old Testament as well. Verse 25, it says that in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So whether you're in the Old Testament looking forward to the Messiah or in the New Testament looking back to the Messiah, everyone sees Jesus as the wrath bearer, as the propitiation, as the one whose sins are no longer passed over, but they are now paid for. It's what we call penal substitutionary atonement. Big word. Penal meaning penalty. Substitutionary meaning Jesus is in our place. And atonement meaning through his work by appeasing God's wrath, he brings us. He's our mediator and brings us to God. I want you to hear this. I was thinking about this with, um, with my sin. I just, just this, this couple weeks ago, um, you know, when you, when you sin and you just really mess up, <laughs> which I do a lot, and there's that like, sort of guilt and shame that sort of builds up, right? Uh, I, and it just feels sometimes overwhelming, especially those what we call bad sins, right? Although all sin, 
uh, is, is bring, deserves anger uh, and, and wrath and punishment. But, you know, those, those particularly bad sins, those worst sins that you think about and the, the guilt and the shame that you experience because of it. When I confess my sin to Julian, I just feel so bad. When I confess my anger to my kids and, I, and oh, the shame and the guilt that comes upon me. When I experience that, it's momentary. But it feels really bad, right? I was thinking about this, like how awful it is for me when I experience shame and guilt for my sin. And then Jesus experiences that not just for all of my sin at one time on the cross, but for all his people. I mean, think about your worst sin. And at your worst, God gives his best. Jesus takes upon himself the shame and the guilt. All of it for us. And so when God pours out the wrath against our sin, we can't even imagine what that is like. But God did not spare his own son even one iota of that wrath that we deserve. Just because Jesus was God's beloved son God didn't lessen the punishment a single degree, all of it. All of the wrath that we deserve is poured out on Jesus. And so why Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Removed from all love that he had always enjoyed from his father, all beauty, all truth, all warmth, all acceptance. Just experienced emptiness, darkness, pain. When the father who loved the son from eternity turned his face away. Jesus was our propitiation. Martin Luther says this. Christ became the greatest transgressor, murderer, adulterer, thief, rebel, blasphemer that ever was. Our most merciful father sent his only son into the world and laid on him the sins of all men, saying, Be thou Peter, that denier, Paul, that persecutor, blasphemer, and cruel oppressor, David, that adulterer, that sinner which did eat the apple in paradise, that thief that hanged upon the cross, and briefly, be thou the person which hath committed the sins of all Men, see therefore that thou pay and suffer for them. That is what the father instructed his son to do. And as a result, God's character was vindicated. As this passage says, it was to show his righteousness at the present time, meaning his judging righteousness against sin. God does not let any sin go unpunished. The cross says that God remains just. Here's the beautiful thing. The cross also says that you and I are deeply loved. And not just by the Son. Jesus loves us, absolutely. But I want you to hear this. The Father loves you as well. When we say that the Father poured out His anger on the Son, we might think somehow that Jesus loves us, but the Father hates us. And somehow Jesus got to kind of stand in the gap. That's not what's going on here. Remember John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. This was always the plan of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit together. The Son, the Father, and the Spirit said, this is our plan of love, that someone would stand in the gap and absorb 
all the wrath against your sin. Ray Stedman says, Jesus does not just absorb God's wrath, but awakens God's love towards his people. That is what Jesus did for us. His propitiation says, you are forgiven. You are loved. Listen to what Andrew Murray says on this subject. Propitiation is not a turning of the wrath of God into love. The propitiation of the divine wrath affected in the work of Christ is the provision of God's eternal and unchangeable love. Did you hear that? God's loved you from eternity past and on into eternity future. Propitiation does not detract from the love and mercy of God. It rather enhances the marvel of his love, for it shows the cost that this love entails, the death of the only begotten Son. Folks, do you, do you feel this? Do you see the love of God for you? You are forgiven. You are loved. There is no sin that you commit that has not already been paid for by Jesus Christ. God's justice has been satisfied and his love has been free to act towards us. And for those of you who might be tempted to think that you don't matter, I want you to hear this. God says, you're infinitely valuable to me. You're worth the price of my son. No sin will keep you away from my love. You are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. Sweet, beautiful thing. Good news. So headline number one, Jesus is our redeemer. Headline number two, Jesus is our propitiation. And last but not least, headline number three, Jesus is our justification. You are righteous. And this final word, justification, it takes us to a new setting. The court reporters taking notes in the courtroom here. As you can imagine, if you've ever been in a courtroom, just how, how serious it is, how, how sobering it is, how scary it is when, when you know that there's someone who is being heard and their story is being heard and they might be found guilty before this judge. Feeling anxious, feeling overwhelmed. And you're just hoping, you're longing that the judge will say not guilty. Here's the thing. In God's courtroom, it's not just a, a, a guilty or a not guilty that he declares it's a completely different matter. See, in order to be accepted in God's sight as the judge, you, do, you can't just have all your sins wiped away and be not guilty. You have to be righteous before his sight. You have to be holy. You have to be without blemish. See, justification means that you are declared righteous. And as we know, if we are in the courtroom, we know that we fall so far short. How in the world can we possibly be righteous? This is what the Apostle Paul is getting at throughout these first three chapters. There's, there's no one righteous. No, not one. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus, the perfectly righteous one, stands in our place. He stands before the Father and he says, I want you to look at my righteousness. I fulfilled every righteous requirement of the law. I want you to look at my record. 
Jesus stands in our place and he offers his righteousness to us for all who believe in him. I don't think I really understood this when I was growing up. I understood that Jesus died for my sins, but, but I never really grabbed hold of this concept of Jesus makes me righteous that he declares me righteous in God's sight. And so even though I knew that I was forgiven, I still felt like I had to measure up, that I had to prove myself. I had to be righteous in order for God to be pleased with me. See, the good news of Jesus goes far more than just forgiveness and pardon. See, we are forgiven. Jesus did take our punishment, but that would simply be to wipe the slate clean, to be free of liability and punishment. It's, it's really free of just a negative thing. But justification, it is a positive thing. It's the bestowal of a status with all of the rights and the privileges and the benefits of a righteous one. See, to speak of forgiveness is to say, Ah, you may go. You're, you're free of your penalty. But to speak of justification is to say, you may come. You're welcome to enjoy all of my love and my presence. It's when the judge gets down off of his special throne and says, hey, come into my presence. I, I welcome you. Tim Keller says this, forgiveness is getting a pardon to get out of jail, but justification is getting a congressional medal of honor bestowed on you so that everyone looks on you and gives you access to circles of acclaim and honor. So Jesus does for us. We have this record of performance that's perfect. And as a result, we get all of the rights and privileges. But this is even more amazing. It says in verse 21, it says, The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, meaning the righteousness that comes through Jesus. But it's not just sort of a performance record. It's actually the person of Jesus that, that God sees. He doesn't just see a list of to-dos. He sees Jesus on our behalf. It's not just some abstract list of performance deeds. No, it's the righteousness of Christ. In other words, when God sees us, he sees his only begotten son. And all that the father thinks and feels towards his son, he thinks and feels towards us. John Stark, uh, at the conference that we were at this past week, he gave a message on the baptism of Jesus. And if you guys know this story, the heavens are opened up to demonstrate how the Father is showing that he welcomes the Son into his presence. And then he sends the Spirit, actually, dove to hover above Jesus to remind him that, that he is, has all the power and authority from the Father. And then the words of the Father come out, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And John Starr concludes his message by saying this, if you are in Christ, what is true of Christ is true of you. What belongs to Christ belongs to you. Your future is as bright as the glorified Christ in heaven. This is the gift of justification. It's amazing, right? I mean, we're the enemy, right? And we're redeemed. The enemy against God gets to go free. Uh, the enemy also gets forgiven. He's, he, he's, he's been able to, to just kind of leave all of the, the punishment that he deserves. But not only that, but the enemy is welcomed. He's welcomed as a son. 
as a daughter. And not just any son, but the firstborn son. The firstborn son that gets all of the privileges, all of the inheritance, all of the blessing, all of the love, all of the affection of the Father is given to you and to me because of Jesus standing in our place as our justification. Do you receive this? Do you know this to be the case? When the Father sees you, he sees his Son. We get everything. As we kind of land this plane, we've talked a lot about these good news headlines, but I want to ask one final question. You know, how, do you, how do you receive this? How do you live into this reality? How does this news become ours? You know, my Uncle Brennan, he gets the newspaper. How does he step into that? Well, it's simple. According to the Apostle Paul, he says, you believe or you have faith. Four times those two words are mentioned. In other words, we've got to trust in, rely upon, hold tightly to the person and the work of Jesus and hold tightly to nothing else. And so if you are here this morning and you have not yet received Jesus as your Savior, I want to encourage you, just like Romans 1, 2, and 3, confess all of your sin. Don't look to your performance. Trust in Jesus alone. Remember the gospel story. Found here in Romans. I've tried, to, I've tried as good as I can. I've failed to live up to God's standards. But now I see a, a righteousness that's not my own. I, I see Jesus and I'm trusting in him alone to free me, to forgive me, to make me righteous in the Father's eyes. But what about for us who are believers? How does this good news sink deeply into our hearts? We are called to do the same thing. We're called to remember Romans 1, 2, and 3. We're called to confess our sin and even our righteous deeds, recognizing that all of those things are like filthy rags before a holy, righteous God. And there is only one way that we can be close to the Lord, and it's through Jesus Christ. We never move past the gospel. Charles Simeon, he says this, there are but two objects that I have ever desired to behold. The one is my own vileness, and the other is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I have always thought that they should be viewed together. So we're to be honest about our sin, but we're then to give that to Jesus and say, I'm trusting you once again that you died for all of my sin, and that my best deeds and my worst deeds never changed the love of God for me. But if... I'm honest, there's sometimes where I flip the story around. Where I start out with the good news, and then I go to the bad news. That word, but now, in verse 21, is the key thing to understanding the gospel. We are always to start out with the bad news, that I'm a sinner. I've messed up again, God. But now, Jesus. If I'm not careful, I can talk about God, and then I have... Myself after the but. Yeah, yeah, I know God did this for me, but. And then we start to share the bad news. This just happened this past week where I was looking at all of my sin. I was looking very little at Christ. Yeah, yeah, I know Jesus died for me, but look at all my sin. I know God has forgiven me, but, but I can't forgive myself. I know God has saved me, but now it's up to me. I know God loves me, but 
you don't know what I've done. I, I know God has declared me righteous, but I still need to deserve it. I need to do right things. I know God has set me free, but I'm still enslaved to sin. I know God has adopted me, but there's still some things I need to do to deserve being in his house. Do you see how we get the gospel message all mixed up? My friend, if this is you, I, I want to encourage you. Be honest about your sin. Absolutely. Be honest about your failed attempts to perform. Be honest about your temptations to feel like God loves you more when you do what's right than when you do what's wrong. Be honest about those things. Bring those things to the Lord. But now, look to Christ. Tell yourself the gospel story. You are a sinner, but you have a wonderful Savior, and his name is Jesus. So stop trusting in yourself and lean only on him. That is the good news of the gospel. Or as Robert Murray McShane says, learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace and all for sinners. Even the chief live much in the smiles of God, bask in his beams, feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love. Did you settled on you in love? And repose in his almighty arms. Folks, Jesus is our redemption. You are free. Jesus is our propitiation. You are forgiven. And Jesus is our justification. You are righteous and welcome in his sight as if you were the firstborn, only begotten Son of God. And you get to receive the rights and privileges both now and forever. Let's pray.